Chapters thirty seven and thirty eight of the Avenger by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter thirty seven. The Widow's Ultimatum. Sidney Barnes stepped quickly forward. If Rayson had permitted it, he would have snatched the packet from the girl's fingers. Rayson, however, saw his intent and intervened. He stepped forward and led her to his writing-table. "'I want you to sit down here quietly and open the envelope,' he said, switching on the electric lamp. "'That is what he told you to do, isn't it? There may be a message for you inside.' She looked round a little fearfully. The presence of the baroness evidently discomposed her. "'I thought,' she said, "'that we were going to be alone, that there would have been no one here but him and you.' The lady is a friend of mine, Wrayson said, and it is very likely that she may be interested in the contents of this envelope. She untied the string with trembling fingers. Wrayson handed her a paper knife, and she cut open the top of the envelope. Then she looked up at him appealingly. I, I don't want to look inside, she half sobbed. Wrayson took up the envelope and shook out its contents before her. There was a letter addressed simply to Agnes and a small packet wrapped in brown oilcloth and secured with dark green ribbon. Sidney Barnes' hand stole out, but Wrayson was too quick for him. He changed his position so as to interpose his person between the packet and anyone in the room. "'Read the letter,' he told the girl. "'It is addressed to you.' She handed it to him. Her eyes were blinded with tears. "'Read it for me, please,' she said. He tore open the envelope, and read the few lines scrawled upon a half-sheet of note-paper. He read them very softly into her ear, but the words were audible enough to all of them. "'My dear Agnes, I have just discovered that there are some people on my track who mean mischief. I have a secret they want to rob me of. I seem to be followed about everywhere I go. What they want is the little packet in this envelope. I'm leaving it with you because I daren't carry it about with me. I've had two narrow escapes already. Now, you'll never read this letter unless anything happens to me. I've made up my mind to sell this packet for what I can get for it, and take you with me out of the country. It'll be a matter of ten thousand quid, and I only wish I had my fingers on it now and was well out of the country. But this is where the rub comes in. If anything happens to me before I can bring this off, I'm hanged if I know what to tell you to do with the packet. It's worth its weight in banknotes to more persons than one, but there's a beastly risk in having anything to do with it. I think you'd better burn it. There's money in it, but I don't see how you could handle it. Burn it, Agnes. It's too risky a business for you. I only hope that in a week or so I shall burn this letter myself, and you and I will be on our way to America. So long, Nessie, from your loving husband. P.S. By the by, my real name is Mars Barnes. There was an instant's pause as Rayson finished reading. Then there came a long-drawn-out whisper from Sidney Barnes. He was close to the girl, and his eyes were riveted upon the little packet. Ten thousand pounds! Ah, five thousand each! Give me the packet, sister-in-law! She stretched out her hand as though to obey. Rayson checked her. Remember, he said, what your husband told you you were to burn that packet. He was right. Your husband was a blackmailer, Mrs. Barnes. 
and he paid the penalty of his infamous career with his life. I shall not allow either you or your brother-in-law to follow in his footsteps. She flashed an indignant glance upon him. Who are you calling names? she demanded. He was my husband, and he was good to me. I beg your pardon as his, Grayson said. I was wrong to use such a word. But I want you to understand that to attempt to make money by the contents of that packet is a crime. Your husband paid the penalty. He knew what he was doing when he commanded you to burn it. She looked toward Sidney Barnes. What do you say? she asked. The words leaped from his mouth. He was half beside himself. I say, let us open the packet and look through it ourselves before we decide. What the devil business is it of anybody else's? He was my brother and your husband. These people weren't even his friends. They've no right to poke their noses into our affairs. You tell them so, sister-in-law. Give me the packet. Come away with me somewhere where we can look through it quietly. I'm fair and straight. It shall be halves, I swear. I say, sister-in-law, Agnes, you don't want to go back to the refreshment bar, do you? No, she moaned. No, no. Nor do I want to go back to the gutter, he declared fiercely. But money isn't to be had for the picking up. Ten thousand pounds Morris expected to get for that packet. It's hard if we can't make half of that. She looked up at Rayson as though for advice. Mrs. Barnes, he said gravely, I can tell you what is in that packet. You can see for yourself, then, whether it is anything by means of which you can make money. It consists of the letters of a very famous woman to the man whom she loved. They were stolen from him on the battlefield. I do not wish to pain you, but the thief was Morris Barnes. The friends of the lady who wrote them paid your brother two thousand pounds a year. Her enemies offered him ten thousand pounds down. There is the secret of Morris Barnes' wealth. Sidney Barnes leaned over the back of her chair. His hot whisper seemed to burn her cheek. Keep the packet, sister-in-law. Don't part. Your brother-in-law, Grayson remarked, is evidently disposed to continue your husband's operations. Remember, you are not at liberty to do so, as he asked. Your husband's words are plain. He orders you to burn the packet. How do I know that you are telling the truth? she asked abruptly. Undo the packet, he suggested. A glance inside should show you. For some reason or other she seemed dissatisfied. She pointed towards the baroness. What is she doing here? she asked. She is a friend of the woman who wrote those letters, Grayson answered. I want her to see them destroyed. There was silence for several moments. The girl's fingers closed upon the packet. She turned round and faced them all. She faced them all, but she addressed more particularly Grayson. You are wondering why I hesitate she said slowly. Augustus said destroy the packet, and I suppose I ought to do it. By God you shan't, Sidney Barnes broke in fiercely. Morrie didn't know that I should be here to look after things. She waited until he had finished, but she seemed to take very little, if any, notice of his intervention. It isn't, she continued, that I'm afraid to go back to the bar. I'll have to go to work somewhere, I suppose. But it isn't that. I want to know, she leaned a little forward, I want to know who it is that has robbed me of my husband. I don't care what he was to other people. He was very good to me, and I loved him. I should like to see the person who killed him hanged. Rayson, for a moment, was discomposed. 
but that, he said, has nothing to do with obeying your husband's directions about that packet. She looked at him with tired eyes and changeless expression. Hasn't it? she asked. I am not so sure. You have explained about these letters. It is quite certain that my husband was killed by either the friends or the enemies of the woman who wrote these letters. I think that if I take this packet to the police it will help them to find the murderer. Her new attitude was a perplexing one. Wrayson glanced at the Baroness as though for counsel. She stepped forward and laid her hand upon the girl's shoulder. "'There is one thing which you must not forget, Mrs. Barnes,' she said quietly. "'Your husband knew that he was running a great risk in keeping these letters and making a living out of them. His letter to you shows that he was perfectly aware of it. Of course it is a very terrible, a very inexcusable thing that he should have been killed, but he knew perfectly well that he was in danger. Can't you sympathize a little with the poor woman whose life he made so miserable? Let her have her letters back. You will not find her ungrateful. The girl turned slowly round and faced the baroness. They might indeed have represented the opposite poles in femininity, from the tips of her perfectly manicured fingers to the crown of her admirably coiffured hair, the baroness stood for all that was elegant and refined in the innermost circles of her sex. Agnes would have looked more in place behind the refreshment bar from which Morris Barnes had brought her. Her dress of cheap shiny silk was ill-fitting and hopeless, her hat with its faded flowers and crushed shape an atrocity, boots and gloves and brooch of artificial gems, all were shocking little was left of her pale-faced prettiness. The tragedy which had stolen into her life had changed all that. Yet she faced the baroness without flinching. She seemed sustained by the suppressed emotion of the moment. "'He was my husband,' she said fiercely, "'and no one had any right to take him away from me. He was my husband, and he was brutally murdered. You tell me that I must give up the letters for the sake of the woman who wrote them. What do I care about her?' Is she as unhappy as I am, I wonder? I will not give up the letters, she added, clasping them in her hand, except on one condition. If it is a reasonable one, the baroness said, smiling, there will be no difficulty. Agnes faced her a little defiantly. It depends upon what you call reasonable, she said. Find out for me who it was that killed my husband, you or any one of you, and you shall have the letters. Sidney Barnes smiled, and left off nervously tugging at his mustache. If this was not exactly according to his own ideas, it was, at any rate, a step in the right direction. Wrayson was evidently perplexed. The Baroness adopted a persuasive attitude. "'My dear girl,' she said, "'we don't any one of us know who killed your husband. After all, what does it matter? It is terribly sad, of course,' but he can't be brought back to life again. You have yourself to think of, and how you are to live in the future. Give me that packet, I will destroy it before your eyes, and I promise you that you shall have no more anxiety about your future. The girl rose to her feet. The packet was already transferred to the bosom of her dress. I have told you my terms, she said. Some of you know all about it, I dare say. Tell me the truth, and you shall have the packet, any one of you. Wrayson leaned forward. The truth is simple, he said earnestly. We do not know. 
I can answer for myself. I think that I can answer for the others. Then the packet shall help me to find out, she declared. The Baroness shook her head. It will not do, my dear girl, she said quietly. The packet is not yours. The girl faced her defiantly. Who says that it is not mine? she demanded. I do, the Baroness replied. And I, Wrayson echoed. And I say that it is hers. Hers and mine, Sidney Barnes declared. We shall do what she likes with it. She shall not be made to give it up. Mrs. Barnes, the Baroness declared briskly, you must try to be reasonable. We will buy the packet from you. Sidney Barnes nodded his head approvingly. That, he said, is what I call talking common sense. We will give you a thousand pounds for it, the Baroness continued. It's not enough, not near enough, Barnes called out hastily. Don't you listen to them, Agnes. I shall not, she answered. Ten thousand pounds would not buy it. I have said my last word. I am going now. In three days' time I shall return. I will give up the letters then, in exchange for the name of my husband's murderer. If I do not get that, I shall go to the police. She rose and walked out of the room. They all followed her. The Baroness whispered in Raisin's ear, but he shook his head. It is impossible, he said firmly. We cannot take them from her by force. The Baroness shrugged her shoulders. She caught the girl up upon the stairs, and they descended together. Rayson and Sidney Barnes followed, the latter biting his nails nervously and maintaining a gloomy silence. At the entrance Rayson whistled for a cab and handed Agnes in. Sidney Barnes attempted to follow her. "'I will see my sister-in-law home,' he declared. But Rayson's hand fell upon his arms. "'No,' he said. "'Mrs. Barnes can take care of herself. She is not to be interfered with.' She nodded back at him from the cab. "'I don't want him,' she said. "'I don't want anyone. In three days' time I will return.' "'And until then you will not part with the letters?' Rayson said. "'Until then,' she answered. "'I promise.' The cab drove off. Sidney Barnes turned upon Rayson, white and venomous. "'Where do I come in here?' he demanded fiercely. I sincerely trust, Rayson answered suavely, that you are not coming in at all. But you too can return in three days. End of chapter 37 Chapter 38 Ineffectual Wooing At last, Rayson said to himself, almost under his breath, Shall we have a hansom, Louise, or do you care for a walk? A walk, by all means, she answered hurriedly. It is not far, is it? A mile, a little more, perhaps, he answered. You are sure that you are not tired? Tired only of sitting still, she answered. We had a delightful crossing. This way, isn't it? They left the Grosvenor Hotel, where Louise, with Madame de Mebane, had arrived about an hour ago, and turned towards Battersea. Louise began to talk nervously, and with a very obvious desire to keep the conversation to indifferent subjects. Rayson humored her for some time. They spoke of the journey, suddenly determined upon by Madame de Mebane on receipt of his telegram, of the beauty of saint Etarpe, of the wonderful reappearance of her brother. "'I can scarcely realize even now,' she said, "'that he is really alive. He is so altered. He seems a different person altogether.' "'He has gone through a good deal,' Grayson remarked. She sighed. "'Poor Duncan,' she murmured. "'He is very much to be pitied,' Grayson said seriously. I, at any rate, can feel for him. He turned towards her as he spoke, 
but his words were charged with meaning. She began quickly to speak of something else, but he interrupted her. "'Louise,' he said, "'is London so far from St. Etard?' "'What do you mean?' she asked. "'I think that you know very well,' he answered. "'I am sure that you do. At St. Etard you were content to accept what, believe me, is quite inevitable. Here, well, you have been doing all you can to avoid me, haven't you?' "'Perhaps,' she admitted. "'St. Etard was an interlude. I told you so.' You ought to have understood that. They entered the park, and Wrayson was silent for a few minutes. He led the way towards an empty seat. Let us sit down, he said, and talk this out. She hesitated. I think, she began, but he interrupted her ruthlessly. If you prefer it, I will come to the Baroness with you, he declared. She shrugged her shoulders and sat down. Very well, she said, but I warn you that I am in a bad temper. I am hot and tired and dusty. We shall probably quarrel. He looked at her critically. She was a little pale, perhaps, but there was nothing else to indicate that she had just arrived from a journey. Her dress of dull black glazed silk was cool and spotless, her hat and veil were immaculate. Always she had the air of having just come from the hands of an experienced maid. From the tips of her patent shoes to the fall of her veil, she was orderly and correct. It takes two, he said, to quarrel. I shall not quarrel with you. All that I ask from you is a realization of the fact that we are engaged to be married. She withdrew the hand which he had calmly possessed himself of. We are nothing of the sort, she declared. He looked puzzled. Perhaps, he remarked, I forgot to mention the matter last time I saw you, but I quite thought that you would take it for granted. In case I was forgetful, please let me impress the fact upon you now. We are going to be married and very shortly. In fact, the sooner the better. Of her own free will she laid her hand upon his. He fancied that behind her veil the tears had gathered in her eyes. "'Dear friend,' she said softly, "'I cannot marry you. I shall never marry anyone. Will you please believe that? It will make it so much easier for me.' He was a little taken aback. She had changed her methods suddenly, and he had had no time to adapt himself to them. "'Don't hate me, please,' she murmured. "'Indeed, it would make me very happy if we could be friends.' He laughed a little unnaturally, and turned in his seat until he was facing her. "'Would you mind lifting your veil for a moment, Louise?' he asked her. She obeyed him with fingers which trembled a little. He saw then that the tears had indeed been in her eyes. Her lips quivered. She looked at him sadly, but very wistfully. "'Thank you,' he said. Now would you mind asking yourself whether friendship between us is possible? Remember St. Etarp and ask yourself that. Remember our seat amongst the roses. Remember what you will of that long golden day. She covered her face with her hands. Ah, no, he went on. You know yourself that only one thing is possible. I cannot force you into my arms, Louise. If you care to take up my life and break it in two, you can do that. But think what it means. I am not rich, but I am rich enough to take you where you will, to live with you in any country you desire. I don't know what your scruples are. I shall never ask you again. But, dear, you must not, you must not send me away. She was silent. She had dropped her veil, and her head had sunk a little. If I believed that there was anybody else, he continued, 
I would go away and leave you alone. If I doubted for a single moment that I could make you happy, I would not trouble you any more. But you belong to me, Louise. You have taken up your place in my life, in my heart. I cannot live without you. I do not think that you can live without me. You mustn't try, dear, you mustn't. He held up her unresisting hand, but her face was hidden from him. What it is that you fancy comes between us, I cannot tell, he continued more gravely. Only let me tell you this. We are no longer in any danger from Stephen Hanage. He has abandoned his quest altogether. He has told me so with his own lips. You are sure of that? she asked softly. Absolutely, he answered. She hesitated for a moment. He remained purposely silent. He was anxious to try and comprehend the drift of her thoughts. "'Do you know why?' she asked. "'Did he find the task too difficult? Or did he relinquish it from any other motive?' "'I am not sure,' Wrayson answered. "'I met him the night before last. He was very much altered. He had the appearance of a man altogether unnerved. Perhaps it was my fancy, but I got the idea.' "'Well?' she demanded eagerly. "'That?' he had come across something in the course of his investigations which had given him a shock he said he seemed all broken up of course it may have been something else altogether at any rate i have his word for it he has ceased his investigations altogether and broken with sydney barnes the afternoon was warm but she shivered as she rose a little abruptly to her feet she laid his hand upon her arm not without my answer he begged she shook her head sadly. "'My very dear friend,' she said sadly, "'you must always be. That is all.' He took his place by her side. "'Your very dear friend,' he repeated. "'Well, it is a relationship I don't know much about. I haven't had many friendships amongst your sex. Tell me exactly what my privileges would be.' "'You will learn that,' she said, "'in time.' He shook his head. I think not, he declared. Friendship, to be frank with you, would not satisfy me in the least. Then I must lose you altogether, she murmured in a low tone. I don't think so, he affirmed coolly. I consider that you belong to me already. You are only postponing the time when I shall claim you. She made no remark, and behind her veil her face told him little. A moment later they issued from the park, and stood on the pavement before the baroness flat. She held out her hand without a word. I think, he said, that I should like to come in and see the baroness. Not now, she begged. We shall meet again at dinner time. Where? he asked eagerly. Madame desired me to ask you to join us at the Grosvenor, she answered, at half-past eight. I shall be delighted, he answered promptly. You nearly forgot to tell me. She shook her head. No, I didn't, she said. I should not have let you go away without giving you her message. And you will let me bring you home afterwards? We shall be delighted, she answered. I shall be with Amy, of course. He smiled as he raised his hat and let her pass in. The baroness, he said, is always kind. He stood for a moment on the pavement. Then he glanced at his watch and hailed a cab. The Sheridan Club, he told the man. He had decided to appeal to the colonel. End of chapter 38. Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com.